Hello, this is Eric Schultz for the Jersey Arts Podcast. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Nelson Johnson, author of the New York Times bestseller, Boardwalk Empire. This history of Atlantic City and crime boss Nucky Johnson served as the basis for the hit HBO series, Boardwalk Empire, which begins its fourth season this fall. Here is our conversation. Nelson Johnson, thank you for being here. It's I'm delighted pleasure. to be here. It's a, such a thrill to meet you. Let me ask you, uh, I read that when you were pitching Boardwalk Empire to Hollywood executives, you would often, to get their attention, pose a question back at them, which was... I had a pretty routine pitch that I had developed with a friend of mine by the name of Ken Rotkop, who lives in L.A., and what we worked out was I would lay a photo of Nucky Johnson and his wife, Floss, from their wedding, on July 31st, 1941, the night before he went to jail, I'd put the photo on the table in a frame and I would say to the person I was talking to, do you know where organized crime was born? And 100% of the time, they did not say Atlantic City. Typically, I'd say three out of four said Chicago, some said New York, and that was it. And I would say, no, you're wrong. And then I had their attention. And then I proceeded to give him the story of the May 1929 crime convention and then give him the history of Nucky Johnson's career in Atlantic City. And so I could get their attention that way. That's, that's the method we devised to get their attention. So what was going on in Atlantic City at that time? There was a convention of people such as Lucky Luciano, uh, Al Capone, uh, Meyer Lansky, Longy Zwillman, uh, names that aren't that are eluding me right now. People from people from uh, Ohio, Chicago, St. Louis. Uh, they all just happened to be here that weekend. Uh, it was a long weekend, uh, and they had a meeting. And then after the meeting, things started to happen in terms of people going in different directions and people assisting one another. Now they obviously didn't let anybody take notes at their meetings, but the fact that those people were in town, uh, yes, they were. What made Atlantic City conducive to that and to to actually Nucky's career. Corruption in Atlantic City was organic. It was perfectly natural and it was needed in order for the town to be successful. Old Atlantic City had a window of opportunity of anywhere from 10 to 14 weeks in order to make a buck during good weather from vacationers. And those, most of those vacationers were out of Philadelphia. And Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, was also one of the driest cities in the nation. And so when they got to Atlantic City, it was a place to have you know, a wonderful good time. Uh, in the very beginning of the book, I quote a gentleman who was, what came to this town around 1900 and saw the town through its many years of popularity, a gentleman by the name of Murray Fredericks, and impressing him for why was Atlantic City so corrupt, his response was, if the people who came to town had wanted Bible readings, We'd have given them that, but no one ever asked for Bible readings. They wanted booze, broads, and gambling, so that's what we gave them. So booze, broads, and gambling became the biggest part of the entertainment package, but in order to do that, accommodations had to be made. The law had to be broken. And where you have the full flower of Nucky Johnson and Atlantic City coming to bloom is during Prohibition. But what a lot of people can't appreciate is that Prohibition didn't pop out of the ground like a mushroom. Prohibition was preceded by what we call the Bishop's Laws. 
And the bishops' laws for about 30 years before Prohibition said no booze on Sunday. And Atlantic City said, what do you mean no booze on Sunday? That's our busiest day of the week. So Atlantic City began very faithfully and, and annually violating the law one day a week on Sunday to violate the bishops' laws. So when Prohibition comes along, it's not a big leap intellectually, morally, socially, politically for them to go from violating the law one day a week to seven days a week. And so when that happened, Atlantic City really did then become a magnet for, for tourists and, and, and uh, conventioneers. That's, that's why Convention Hall was built, to, to accommodate the business groups that were coming here during Prohibition because they knew they could come here and drink and not be hassled. Nelson, you, you were trained as a, an attorney and you work and have worked your whole life as an attorney. Uh, when did you get the history and the writing bug and what led you specifically to Atlantic City as a subject? I represented the Atlantic City Planning Board from 1980 to 82 and I went into City Hall knowing the place was corrupt. It wasn't that long before people had, had gone to jail. Uh, and what I didn't anticipate was how dysfunctional the city was. I couldn't make sense of why can't this place get anything done. My instincts are those of a bookworm. I had my first library card before I was in kindergarten, and so I said, let me go to the library. Maybe, maybe there's something there that can help me. And I met two ladies there, Jane Spittler and Marie Boyd, who fed me books for about a year and a half. And during that period, I probably read 25 books. And there's books on the boardwalk, books on Atlantic City as a tryout town for Broadway, books on vaudeville, books on fire companies, books on hotels, uh, the books on horses on the beach, books after book after book. But when I got through about a year and a half reading all these books, I, I had a couple observations. One, nobody ever touched on the town's corruption. It's right in their face, but nobody's writing about it. Two, uh, Nobody, nobody had a real feel for the importance of the African-American community and, and the critical role that it played in the town. And then three, nobody ever put the whole thing together. There, was, there wasn't one book that you could read that started with 1854 when the trains came and worked up to the present. So I said, that's very interesting. Uh, but I was, still wasn't thinking about writing a book at the time. But I continued reading about Nucky Johnson, and the more that I read him, I said, you know, he's not just a book. He's a movie. I really should try to write this book. And so I struggled to write the book, but had problems with trying to incorporate the black community into the history, and that forced me to put the book down several times. And I lost a lot of years because of that. I was very frustrated. And then I came to the conclusion, well, you have to write this book, and then you have to write a second book, which I wound up doing on the North Side. So it was my passion for... As my wife says, my curiosity got the better of me. It was my passion for trying to figure out this town and make sense of it that led me to write two books. What was the role of the uh, black community here? I could use one word, indispensable. If you remove the African-American experience from Atlantic City's history, the town doesn't come to exist. Between 1880 and 1930, and I know my dates are safe, it's probably a little bit before and a little bit after, but during those 50 years, 95% and more of the hotel workforce was African-American. So if you remove them from the picture, who's going who's to manage your hotels? So the reason for that is Philadelphia. Philadelphia was such a booming economic center that if you lived in South Jersey and if you were white, 
and you didn't have a profession, you didn't have a business, you weren't a farmer, you were in Philadelphia because the wages were so good. So the hotels had a quandary, which is how do we staff our hotels? And they actually created flyers and pamphlets and recruited people from the Upper South. They recruited freed slaves and the children of freed slaves from uh, Maryland, Virginia, and North Carolina to come and work in the hotels. And if you trace the family roots of people in this community, those three states dominate. Uh, almost none from South Carolina, a few from Georgia. So the issue of corruption, though, that's another. That's the other piece of this. It's unique here? Well, it, it, it's, it's, it's unique in this respect. Nucky Johnson came upon the corrupt system that the Commodore, Lewis Coonley, had put together. And what he did was took the two rings of power. He took the purveyors of vice. He took those people, whether it was the guy running the illegal uh, bar, the, the person running the brothel, the person running the gambling house, and he took the political organization and he made them a single ring. It's the only place I know where the two rings of power. In, in many cities in the first half of the 20th century, you have, you have the two rings of power doing business with one another, but you don't have them merging. So he was not only the head racketeer of the community, he was the head political person of the community. And that's what made him so special in my mind. The more I looked at him, I said, wow, there's nobody like him in 20th century America. Somebody should be interested in him. So I always thought he was going to be a movie, but now he's turned out to be a Series. An HBO series. An HBO series. A very popular one now in its yes. third or fourth season, right? It's fourth season beginning, yeah. Would you mind describing what kind of a person Nucky Johnson was, sure. was sure. and kind of power he had here, how okay. he conducted his life? Okay. Do you think it's well captured in the HBO series? Well, the first problem, and, 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 and you, come, you overcome these things, you know, over time, and I have completely. The first problem is Nucky was a very big man. Steve Buscemi's not. Okay, N Nucky was six foot one. He had very broad shoulders. Uh, he wore a size forty-four regular suit, uh, and he had many, many suits. It's rare that he wasn't wearing a suit. Uh, he had different types of hats and walking canes. Swam regularly to keep himself in f fit. That was the primary means of, of staying fit. Uh, had a booming voice. You could hear him a block away. If he saw somebody that he wanted to talk to, he would just shout, you know, and, and, and they would hear him. Uh, could be very coarse and crude, uh, used profanity on a regular basis, uh, but at the same time could be very tender and thoughtful uh, before he was boss, after he was boss, while he was boss. He made many, many donations to many people. He would visit the hospital and take people flowers that he didn't know, you know, find someone who had a problem and, you know, help them, help them meet their bill. Or, I mean, he, he was a very generous man. There isn't any question about that. But he also was somebody that if you wronged him, it almost like he would take a knife and cut you out of his life and that was it. You, he wasn't speaking to you again. And so if you betrayed him, you didn't get a chance to betray him a second time. He was, he was pretty unforgiving in, in that regard. But if you think about it, most people of power are that way. Most people of power aren't forgiving because the reason they have the power is that they don't let people get around them that can hurt him a second time. Uh, and so Nucky was complicated, uh, but he, he was generous, friendly, he was, he, he was corrupt, he violated the law, he was a womanizer, uh, but he was loved by the people of this community, so much so that 
when he got out of jail, uh, despite the fact that he was forced to take a pauper's oath, uh, he had no difficulty living and finding places to live. Uh, he did odd jobs that people overpaid him for, uh, and he, he lived a happy life until the time of his death. When I read your book and compare it to the, to the series, one of the striking differences to me is the violence. Well, when your book there's not a mention of violence, which you usually associate with racketeers. Well, the, here's what I'll say about that. Nucky Johnson was so powerful that he didn't need to be violent. Using violence is admitting that you can't get your way simply because of who you are. When you're forced to use violence, it's an admission of weakness. And so Nucky, and I'll, I'll give you a story that didn't make it into the book, because people tell you things after they read the book, and it was, ver it was very frustrating. I had an older woman she was, she's long dead now. She was probably in her 70s at the time. Relate to me a story about a business that her father owned, which was a laundry. And her father had had, run, had, had a run-in with Nucky Johnson over some issue. A week later, people started coming into the laundry, getting their clothes, and not leaving any off. And within about two weeks' time, he had no laundry to take care of, and he had no customers. And the lady said, he said that her father said to her mother, I have to go see Johnson. If I don't, if I don't, you know, mend my ways with him, we're out of business. And he went to see Johnson, made amends, and the business resumed. Oh, that's, that's power. power. That's power. Because you had the entire community supporting you. And when somebody steps across the line and violates the system, then the entire organization and the community squashes you. What, in your opinion, led to to Atlantic City's decline after this period of height and, and corruption? It's two things. One, the repeal of prohibition, because they no longer had a captive audience. They no longer had this edge of being the only place on the East Coast violating the law brazenly and openly seven days a week. And then the modern world, because after World War II, you had, you had air travel to the masses, you had air conditioning for the masses, you had swimming pools, you had resorts emerging all around the country. So Atlantic City developed a whole lot of competition that it wasn't ready for. Uh, and it sort of all came crashing down uh, in terms of national exposure at the 1964 Democratic Convention. Now, you know, why they lobbied to host that, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I do know, but it, but it was kind of a silly thing. And long and short of it is the message that came out of this town in 1964 was, don't go there. You know, the Atlantic City is no longer the queen of the resorts that it promotes itself to be. And that made this to slide even steeper after 1964 Democratic Convention, which many people used to say, okay, how we gain a competitive edge here? And they gained it through legalizing gambling in 1976. But again, as you see now, they've got lots of competition in that area too. So that the whole dynamic of being a successful resort is a complicated puzzle, and, and there's a lot of pieces that go into making it successful. And right now, gambling is just one of them. It's not the piece because it has too many competitions right now. In the big picture of things, what are the most interesting things that you've discovered about the city in all your research? I would say number one was the indispensable role of the African-American community. If you remove them from the Atlantic City experience, the town doesn't come to exist. Probably this, the, the, the second thing that I look at, Atlantic City's past and its success was was only marginally, and what, what I mean, let, let me try to explain this. 
Casino gambling was viewed as a cure-all. There isn't any such thing as a cure-all. Prohibition was a big boost, but it wasn't the whole story. What made Atlantic City great in the past, and what hopefully will make it great in the future, because it seemed that people seem to be understanding us, was one word, spectacle. This was the place where crazy things happened, and people came in droves to see them. You know, whether it was the, you know, the diving horse, or whether, whether it was the, you know, the, the juggling bear, or, or whether it was the dog races. There were, this town did lots of crazy things that attracted lots of people. I mean, when, when GM wanted to unveil their, their, their product line of new automobiles, Atlantic City was the place they did it. So, you know, spectacle. I think is what is the key to Atlantic City's past and the future. Thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed reading your book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm very happy to hear that. Nelson Johnson is the author of two books about the history of Atlantic City, Boardwalk Empire, the inspiration for HBO's hit series of the same name, and The North Side, African Americans, and the Creation of Atlantic City. For more information about the arts in New Jersey, visit jerseyarts.com. The Jersey Arts Podcast is made possible with support from the New Jersey State Council on the Arts, supporting excellence and public engagement in the arts since 1966. For the Jersey Arts Podcast, this is Eric Schultz. Eric Schultz.